Well, in May of 2008, there was a five-year-old girl named Maria Chapman, and she was playing in her driveway. And very tragically, her older brother didn't see her when he backed out of the driveway with his SUV. And this family lived in Franklin, Tennessee. They were faithful in serving the Lord. Their dad, very well-known Christian artist, recording artist, Stephen Curtis Chapman. They've been faithful in serving the Lord, and then they had this tragedy. And many people surrounding them, and maybe even themselves, started asking the question, where was God? Why did our little Maria die so innocently by her older brother's accident? Why? God, why don't, why didn't you protect us? Why didn't you protect her? And today we're going to be looking at the God who protects. I know it says on there, God, it stays, but I probably forgot to switch the slide. It's the God who protects, and we're going to Genesis 20, not 28, that was last week, 31 today. So if you're a little confused, that's probably my fault. <laughs> but we're looking at the God who protects. And many times we, we ask that question, God, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen? Why weren't you protecting? If you're really good, if you're really God, if you really have power to do this, why are you allowing bad things to happen? And so we have we been looking at in this, in this uh, series, looking at the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And we're looking at who, who this God is. You know, not just who, who is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but who is this God that was, who, this God that, that's faithful to them, he's also faithful to us now. And so as we look at these, these stories from, from Genesis, we can see that God is faithful. And so um, we, we started looking at, in, in Genesis 12, we, we saw how God who calls is the God who blesses. He calls Abraham out to, to, be, a, to be a people in, to a different place. He takes him out of his comfort zone to a God, uh, to, to a place, a land that's set out for them. And he says he's going to be the father of many nations. He's going, he's going to be the father. His, his descendants are going to be like the, the sea, or like the, the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. This is going to be, you can't even count them. There's going to be so many of his descendants. The problem with Abraham was he didn't have any kids yet, and he was already old. And so the next week we looked at this problem in Genesis 17 and also in 21. This, the, the God who makes promises is faithful to keep them. And so he, God made this promise that he's going to be, that Abraham's going to be this father of many nations. And so God fulfills his promise by, by allowing his 90-year-old, Abraham's 90-year-old wife to have a child. And that child is Isaac. And then we saw in Genesis 22 that the God who tests is the God who provides. God tested Abraham to see, are you really trusting me? Or are you trusting the gift that I've given you? The son that was miraculously born at, at your old age. And then the next week, 
Tyler Hartford was here, and he was looking at the God who provides. He, he provided a wife for Isaac, and, and looking at the well, and how God, how Jesus is the provider for us. And then we looked at Genesis 25 about the God who amazes, acts beyond what we can expect. So now Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, now that they're having, they had twins, and how then all of a sudden, for it seems like no reason, Isaac and Rebecca find out that their youngest is supposed to be the one that's blessed. That Jacob is supposed to be the one that's greater, and their older one, Esau, would serve Jacob. And so God amazed them in this way. And we find out through this story that, that then Jacob runs off because he's, he steals the blessing from his, from his brother. He runs off, and we looked at this last week then in Genesis 28, the God who stays. And he, the God who stays is with us even when we're on the run. So Jacob was on the run. He was trying to escape his brother that wanted to kill him. And he was on the run, and he finds God. And and God stays with him. And God shows him who he is. And, and we saw that the God who stays declares who he is to his people. He says, Jacob, I am God. I am the God of your father, Isaac, but also of your grandfather, Abraham. I, being trusting in me is needed for you, not just because they did it. And then, he sa- then we can see that the God who stays blesses his people to be witnesses. That they, the people, are to be a witness for God. That people, that, that when, when God blesses us, we're supposed to use his blessing to show other people the goodness and faithfulness of God. And then we saw the, the God who stays promises his presence always to be with his people. That God is going to be with us. Even when we're on the run, even when we're doing things that are wrong, God is with us. God is always wanting us to come back to him, just like in the prodigal son. And so we're going to be looking at Genesis 31, but between Genesis 28 and 31, there's a few things we need to kind of find out about as we catch up here. So you can go ahead and and to turn to Genesis 31, but in Genesis 28, I'm sorry, in 29 and 30, there's a few things that happen. So let me just explain it this way. So, so we find out that Jacob is, is super blessed, and God is with him, and he goes to his, his, he finds his uncle. His uncle is Laban, the, the brother of his mom's, uh, of, his, of his mom, Rebecca. And so he, he gets there, and very soon he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And, and so he wants to marry Rachel. And so he, he and the dad, Laban, set up this, this deal that, that Jacob would work for seven years in order to receive his bride. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm glad I didn't have that kind of arrangement. <laughs> I, pro- I, I doubt that happens a lot very often now, but this was what Jacob and Laban agreed on. And, and it said that the years went so far, they were like a few days to, to Jacob because he was working with excitement and love. He was so excited to get to marry Rachel. 
And on the wedding day, seven years later, this is so crazy, but Jacob, the one that's deceiving, has been deceiving his brother and deceiving his dad, now he's the one that is deceived. He finds out that he has married not Rachel, but he's married Leah. Now, if anybody knows of a modern-day story like that, feel free to share it with me, but I haven't heard of that before. <laughs> you, you think you're marrying somebody, and you find out that it's somebody else. That, that's super awkward, super, uh, I mean, we just, yeah, it's, it's, the stuff like this is in our Bible. <laughs> this happened. And, and so we, we see, so Jacob is obviously really mad. He goes to his father-in-law now, Laban, his uncle, and he says, okay, I just worked for seven years to marry Rachel. What happened? And he's like, sorry, the older sister needs to be married off first. I was hoping that, that in, the, in the seven years that she would get married, but since she didn't, she's your bride. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't really work. <laughs> so so Jacob, Jacob's like, okay, well, I still want to marry Rachel. How can I marry Rachel? So he, they, they make another deal that he works for another seven years for Rachel. But he does, he does get to marry Rachel right away or after their honey, the, the first honeymoon's over. And, and, and so now in these, these next seven years, we see that God uses this very awkward family situation where Jacob is married to two sisters. Now, now remember, Jacob and Esau, they were, they were these rival brothers. And now Jacob marries these sisters that become rivals. And, and so Leah, the older sister, knew that she wasn't loved by her husband. And so the way that she could feel valuable is to pr- produce sons for her husband. And, and God blessed her by all these sons that she had. But then Rachel started feeling left out and feeling like she wasn't good enough. And, and, and so there was this rival, and then they both started giving each other's uh, maidservants into, into the equation too. And so from, in these seven years, Jacob ends up having 12 kids. Okay? That's a lot of kids in, in seven years. He has 12 kids. Now the... the one of them, or 11 of them are, are sons, and they have, he had a daughter also. Joseph was the youngest of these 12, and later on, Benjamin will be born. But right now, in these, in these seven years, he has all these kids. So obviously, he's blessed beyond measure with family. And then, so he, when this seven years is up, so he's worked 14 years, Jacob goes to, his, son, to his, his father-in-law, his uncle Laban, and he says, hey, let me go. Send me on my way. Let me return to my, my homeland. Remember, God said he was going to be with Jacob. He was going to bring him back to his homeland. The, 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 what we would call now the promised land, where the Israelites were, were going for the 40 years, where, where Israel is. He's going to go back. So he's saying, hey, let me go back with my my wives and kids. And Laban saw that God was blessing. He was blessing Jacob so much that Laban was like, ah, how about I just start paying you now? How about, because I want to still get some blessing. And he probably wanted his kids and his daughters and grandkids there too. 
So they work out this deal, and, and, and Laban and Jacob very shrewdly, is that a word? <laughs> shrewdly, they're, they're being really deceitful of each other, tricking each other how to, to earn the wages. How, but through this, Jacob is greatly blessed, and Jacob receives this huge amount of wealth through animals. All right, so that's where we pick it up in, in Genesis 31. All right, so in Genesis 31, here's what it says. Starting in verse 1, it said, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken over everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. Jacob's getting rich. We don't like it. Maybe the sons were thinking, this is our inheritance. We want him out of here. All right, verse 2. Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not as what it had been. He started noticing Laban was not really happy that he was around. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So here we can see Jacob had asked, a few years before, can I go? Laban says no. Or Laban says, please, I pay you. And all this. But now the, the attitude has changed and God says, Jacob, it's time to go. Jacob, let's go. And so, then, so then Jacob goes and he tells his, his wives and, and tells them what's happening, how, how their dad has been tricking him and all these things. So then we, we skip to verse 10 here. Uh, or verse 11, and it says, the God, the angel of God said to, to me in a dream, Jacob is telling his, his wives this, Jacob, and I answered, here I am. And he said, look up, and I see, and see that all the male goats mating with the flocks are streaked and speckled or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. So this was the whole like, debate all of Genesis 31, or the 30 in the end of it, all about how they were getting possessions with these, with these animals. And God says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Remember, God's saying, remember, you slept on that, that rock of a pillow, and then, and, then you, and then you anointed it, and you said, this is where I'm encountered God. So God's saying, remember, that's me. I know it's been about 20 years now, but remember, that's, that's who I am. And God says, you've made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So, they, so he's telling his, his, his brides this, his, Leah and Rachel. And then in verse 17, it, it shows that he obeys. It says, then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels and drove all his livestock ahead of him along with the the goods that he had accumulated there in Padaram, and go and to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. And then in verse, oh, that was verse 18. Okay, so it shows that he was obeying. He was obeying God. God said go, and he did. And so our first point today is that we see that the God who protects is the God who directs. So God is directing Jacob, go back to the place where I want you. I told you I was going to be with you, and now is the time to go. So God is telling him very directly, go. He's telling him where? 
back to your father's hometown, or where your father is. Okay? And remember, his father was on his deathbed before when he blessed him, and 20 years later, he's still alive. So, so, so he's going back, and it might be, a, actually, it's going to be a super awkward situation to go back to a place where your brother wants you dead. But God, the God who protects, is directing him. And often in our lives, we don't hear this very direct call from God. But if we do, if we hear a direct call from God, if we know God for sure is saying to do something, it's not our job to debate. It's not our job to, to ask questions. It's our job to obey. And so that's what God expects. He expects that when he tells us something, that we obey that. Now, sure, we should be talking to, our, uh, to people to see if, if God is confirming that to them too to our pastor, our, our elders, our other people that you trust in your circles. But, but not in waiting to obey, in the process of obeying. Say, God is showing me this. Are you confirming that? Do you, what do you see? Are, so we, we see that God wants us to obey. And so then, it, but there's this problem. And we're going to see this, this problem that Jacob had. Because in, in verse 19, it, it shows that Jacob was, ta- that his, his wife Rachel was stealing from her dad. Okay? Now, I don't have that on the screen, but she steals from her dad. She takes the, his household idols and she takes them with her as they go. Now, the other problem that Jacob and his family were having was Jacob, when he, when he realized it was time to go, when God was saying it was time to go, he obeyed so quickly he didn't even say goodbye to his, to his father-in-law. He snuck away. Now, it's pretty hard if you have 12 kids, four wives, a whole bunch of people around you, and all this possession, animals. It's pretty hard to accidentally... Say, accidentally just slip away without saying goodbye. So very directly, very clearly, Jacob is on the run, not wanting his father-in-law to know they're leaving. Well, as you can guess, if you're traveling, especially by foot, with this huge crowd of people and animals, you're going a lot slower than, than Laban could catch up with you. <laughs> so we're going to see, so go to the next slide there, and in verse 22, Laban is finding out, okay? He's fi- finding out that Jacob fled. He fled the scene. He's gone. Now, I don't know how that happened exactly because that seemed like that would have been kind of obvious. But anyways, he's finding out. And he found out three days into the journey that Jacob's gone. So then it says in verse 23, taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. And, and so notice, three plus seven is what? Just making sure you guys know some math and you're paying attention. All right, so they've been traveling for how long? Ten days. I think Jacob might have thought he, was, he had escaped. Because <laughs> for ten days, he was fine. But then Laban catches up. And I wonder what Jacob was thinking then. Oh, no. <laughs> I've been going for 10 days traveling, and now he catches up with me. I'm in trouble. But it says, 
In verse 24, then God came to Laban in a dream that night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now this is, this is a, a little bit of a confusing dream. Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, good or bad. I, maybe Laban's thinking, I was going to say a lot of bad things to him. What do you mean good? But, but God is communicating very clearly to him in a way that he understood. Now to us, we're like, what does that mean, good or bad? Don't say anything good or bad. I, I would think it's, he, God would say, don't say anything bad. Don't do anything bad. You caught up with him. Now, now bless him and do some good. No. But what's interesting is that when Rebecca, Laban's sister, in Genesis 24, this, this servant of Abraham goes he goes to find this, this wife for Isaac. And when, when it's very clear that God was sending Rebecca to be the wife for Isaac, very obvious, very clear, the dad and the brothers were like, ooh, our sister has to leave now? But what did they say? They said pretty much this exact phrasing. We're not going to say anything good or bad. Because they want to do, they want to obey what God was clearly calling her to do. So he's, God's using the same phrasing that he had said so many years before to Laban. He's saying, don't say anything either good or bad. I think that was his way of saying, you said this was okay for this to happen. You were okay with this happening back then. This is my blessing. I'm blessing your sister and now his, the son of your sister. And this is the blessing. And look at them now. They have this, this incredible blessing of people. And this becomes the, the children of Israel. This becomes who people look to through all the rest of the Old Testament. They're looking back to Jacob and his family. And so... Clearly, Laban right here could have just come. He's so mad. He's been chasing them for seven days. He could have just wiped them out as soon as he got there. I think he probably wouldn't have wiped out his, his kids and grandkids, but wiped out Jacob. And God said, don't say anything good or bad. Remember, you were okay with this then. I'm in this. So then it continues. And Jacob's in verse 25, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. That just means they caught up. And Laban and his, and his relatives camped there too. And when Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? I think that was a rhetorical question. Because then he, then he says, you've deceived me and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. You, you just left with that 20 years and you're just gone. Verse 27, why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could at least send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren or my daughters. It's goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. And he says in verse 29, I have the power to harm you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. 
You've been a foolish guy. You deceived me. You ran off like a scaredy cat. And now I caught up with you and I have the power to harm you. I bet Jacob's kind of worried now. (laughs) But last night, God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Thank you. Now, you have gone off because you've, you've longed to return to your father's household. So I understand you wanting to get back to your household. I understand you wanting to go. You should have said goodbye to me. You should have let me celebrate with you. But why did you steal my household idols? Why did you steal my gods? Jacob, come on. And, and Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid. So he's answering the first question. Why were you being foolish? <laughs> he says, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force, but if you find anyone who has your gods, this is the second question, if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. I think he was pretty confident that no one in his party had the gods, had these, had these household idols. In the, in the presence of our relatives, See for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me, and if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that his wife, Rachel, had stolen these idols. Now we don't know why she stole the idols. We don't know what she wanted to do with them. Maybe her whole life she's depended on and trusted these idols to protect her. Maybe she's, she's wondering who this God is that Jacob, his, her husband, kind of knows, kind of worships, kind of trusts. I mean, obviously trusts enough to, to go on, to, to believe that he needs to go back to his, his hometown. But Rachel's like, yeah, I, I trust my husband and what he wants to do with his God, but I still want my own gods. I still want it, what I'm used to. And so what happens here is that, that Laban never finds the, these idols. And then there's this big conflict between Jacob and Laban. What should we do about this? But the second point today is that the God who protects is the God who defends. He defended Jacob. Jacob had no idea that Laban was pursuing him. He had no idea that he was about to be overtaken and could have been harmed and just been done with right then and there. But God spoke to Laban, and God defended Jacob. Do we, all, do we have times in our life that we don't even know that God is working out the details, that God is defending us, that God is the one that is, that's taking something, that's working on someone's heart? You know? In, in Romans 12, Paul says, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, Paul says, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written in Deuteronomy, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So God's saying, He will repay. He will avenge. It's not for us to do that. So Laban here is is wanting to harm Jacob. But 
God defends and God protects and God is the one that steps in. And Jacob doesn't even have to do anything. Do we leave, it, do we leave our problems to God? Or do we try to handle them ourselves? Do we go to our friends when we have a problem? Who do we go to when we have issues? When, we, when even if we've done wrong things, where do we go? Who do we turn to? We should, if you trust Jesus, then show Jesus you trust him by going to him first. Now maybe you don't trust him. But, but God wants you to trust him. And he wants you to see that God is trustworthy. And that he can defend us. He can protect us. So they have this problem, Jacob and, and Laban. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do now? I've gone, se- I've gone as fast as I could for seven days. You've been walking for ten days. Now here we are. What are we going to do? So it, then we see the next slide. It says in verse 48, and Laban, so that Laban and Jacob decide to make this covenant. And, and Laban says, this heap... So similar to what Jacob had, had done 20 years earlier, he, he makes this, this pillar. He says, this heap is a witness between you and me today. And so they, they each give it names. But he says, may the Lord keep watch between you and me whenever we are away from each other. So they're, they're saying, let's, put, let, let's, let's set up this thing. And we're saying, God is going to watch us. God's going to make sure that we aren't going against each other, that we are living in peace with each other. And then in verse 50, it says, Laban says, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take up any other wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Okay, so he's given some conditions here. You don't mess around. Don't mess around. I'm still your father-in-law from a far distance, but God is our witness. You're not going to do these other things. You're not going to do what's wrong. You keep my daughters safe. You protect them. They're your only wives, which is still weird to say my daughters are your wives. But Laban is, is trying to look out for his family, even though now it's Jacob's family. And Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap, which is is this pillar that I've set up between you and me. This heap is a witness. And this is a pillar is a witness. They keep saying this. This, this pillar, this heap, this, they name it different things, and they say that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you. So this heap is like a little, a little wall that when, when I get to it on this road, I'm going to realize, oh yeah, I'm not supposed to harm you. I might have wasted 10 days or 7 days of my journey if I'm mad at you, but I'm not supposed to go past this to harm you. If I go past this, it's to bless you, it's to help you, it's to, it's to be in relationship with you, but not to harm you. Remember, God is the God that protects. And, and, and so here, he could, he's wanting them to not harm each other. And, he said, and Laban is, finishes it saying, 
uh, so I'm not, you're not going to harm me, and you don't go past this, the, uh, you're not going to harm, you aren't going to harm, yeah, th- th- we don't harm each other, I'm not saying that right, th- we don't harm each other, and then he says, may the God of Abraham and the God of his brother, Abraham's brother, Nabor, that's who he knows, uh, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father, Isaac. Okay, so they take this oath. And then in 54, it says, and he offered a sacrifice then there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. And after they had eaten, they spent the night there. And the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And he left and returned home in, well, I'm going to say in peace. Okay? And so the, our, our third point today is the God who protects is the God who delivers. He, he delivers he, and, and really diffuses this situation where they could have, where Jacob could have just been wiped out. Where Jacob could have been killed right there. Laban just takes the daughters and his grandkids and all the, the stuff, all the wealth, and he just takes it back. It's his. So God protected Jacob. He protected him. He delivered him. He delivered him from the hands of his, uh, this conflict, of this enemy, even though it was his father-in-law. And so God delivered. And, and often, you know, we look at this and we say, well, if God is the God that protects, and, and, and let's look at Jacob and think of it as, as us. Well, does God, is God giving me a direction? Is God defending me and is God delivering me? Sometimes. But God is the God. This is God speaking to Jacob in his life. He was the God that was directing Jacob. He was directing, he was not just directing Jacob, but then he was defending Jacob. And he was delivering Jacob. And can God do that for all of us? The answer is of course. But does that mean he will every time? He's always going to tell you what to do. He's always going to defend you. He's always going to deliver you. He's always going to protect you. You're never going to have any harm. No. <laughs> no. He doesn't say we're not ever going to have harm. He doesn't say we're not ever going to have sickness or disease or problems. I mean, even, even when you read along in this story, Jacob, the, the, thing, the, the person that Jacob loved the most out of all his, his family, Rachel, she dies while giving birth to the, their next son, Benjamin. God gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, it says in, in Isaiah. We don't know why God does things and why God allows some things. We don't know, but we can trust that God is good. And actually, that's our, our main idea today, is that the God who protects is worthy of our trust. It's not for us to decide if God's going to protect us or He's not. But He's worthy of our trust. And God is faithful time and time again. It doesn't mean that your life is going to go smoothly and you're not going to have any problems. And I'm sure... If there's tragedy in your life, like there was in Stephen Curtis Chapman's life in 2008, 
they still trusted in God. Even though they might have thought, why did God not protect our little Maria, our five-year-old? Why, would, why did they not? And many people thought that. Why? And often when tragedy hits, why God? And some people even say, there can't be a God if he allows stuff like this to happen. I'm sure a lot of us have heard that argument from people. There can't be a God, or there can't be a good God if, if things like this happen. But things like this do happen. And our job isn't to try to figure out why or why not, but our job is to trust and to see that God is worthy. And ever since Adam and Eve fell, ever since Adam and Eve chose to do it their own way, humanity has had this consequence of sin and death in every part of humanity. Every part of life is this twisting of sin and this corruption. And there's problems everywhere. If God was going to fix everything, then no one would ever die, which is what he intended when he created humans. And so we can be excited that someday, hopefully sooner than later, but someday God's going to be restoring all things new. All things new. All people that love Jesus will be with him for eternity. I hope that gets you excited. It gets me excited that we will never die. Now, yes, we will all physically die unless Jesus comes back before then. But we will never die for eternity because we will be living with Jesus and being restored Jesus, who is worthy of our trust. And I hope that gets you, I hope, I hope that makes you live in a way that's like, you know what, this earth is so temporary. Everything that we are, our life is, is, is so temporary. Yes, let's live all out for God. Yes, let's, let's be kind to each other. Let's show people the goodness of God. But it's temporary. Do you know what's for eternal and what's forever? It's Jesus. And that we're going to get to be with him. The people that trust Jesus now. The people that love Jesus now. Not just going through the motions. Not just going to church. The people that love Jesus with all their heart. With all their soul. With all their mind. Are going to be with him for eternity. In Psalm 23, a very famous, familiar passage. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff that comfort me, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the Lord that is wanting us to trust Him. He is our good shepherd. 
He's directing us. He's directing us in places where we can rest and lie down and have safety, green pastures. He refreshes our soul. He guides us and directs us to the right paths. And then when we're in the darkest valley in the shadow of death, He is defending us. He's with us. He's there to comfort us. And He's delivering us. And it even says that we're having this table, this this meal in the presence of my enemies. And God is anointing our cup with with oil. And His goodness and love is, is following us all of our life so that we can dwell with God forever, for eternity. And showing other people that Jesus, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the true God. The only way to come to him is is through Jesus Christ. And we can show people his love, his path, and we can trust in him alone. I just want to encourage you to take just a moment and to think about how have I experienced the Lord's protection? You know, that doesn't mean we're always going to experience every detail, every part of safety. Bad things can still happen. But how have I experienced something in my life where I've seen the Lord protect me? God, I thank you for the ways that you've protected us. Thank you for the ways that that we've thought in the last few moments of ways that you've been faithful to us in protection. But God, I also, I know that there's times in our life that we've all had times in our life where, where maybe they're coming, where we feel out of control, or we feel like you're missing because something bad happens. So God, I, I ask that you would show each of us that you are worthy of our trust. And even in the darkest valley, in the shadow of death, that we can know that you are with us and you are defending us and delivering us from our enemies. And God, I just pray that we would be people that look to you and show other people that we have hope in you alone. And so God, we, just, we thank you that you are a God that deserves all trust. And so we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.